Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. On episode 72 of the Green Street Hammers podcast, Henry takes the reins as host and is joined by Aaron to discuss the Norwich result and look ahead to the vital Watford game. So let's hammer it down. Okay, and welcome to the Green Street Hammers podcast, episode 72. You might recognise a bit of a change in voice. Adam cannot be with us tonight, so me, myself, Henry, will be taking control as host. And I'm joined by Aaron. How are you doing, Aaron? Uh, I'm doing pretty well, thanks. You know, it was, uh, ended up being an all right uh, result for West Ham this afternoon. And you know, the nerves are uh, starting to grow for tomorrow's uh, match. But hopefully uh, everything's going to work out well. Yeah, the Everton-Villa game is very crucial. Everton got that last-minute sort of equaliser. Otherwise, it would start to look quite tight at the bottom, more so than we would have felt comfortable with, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I was, I think like most West Ham supporters, I was feeling pretty good Saturday after that result against Norwich. And uh, things have really, without us even playing a match, things have become quite stressful since then. We were feeling very comfortable after the Norwich win. It was a good three points to get. And it was a bit disappointing to see what happened the next day with both Bournemouth and Villa getting good wins for them. Um, but yeah, so sort of feeling a bit more comfortable with the draw between Everton and Villa uh, tonight. So yeah, so going to the Norwich game, like it was a great game, scoring four goals, three important points. Antonio was great. So I want to know, Aaron, like other than Antonio, who I think was the obvious candidate for Man of the Match, who stood out for you performance-wise? Oh, well, I mean, I really think going into that match, you know, the West Ham Twitter world was uh, pretty negative about Mark Noble stepping onto the pitch, which is, you know, it, it's kind of the nature of being a supporter of West Ham. Everyone kind of feels when things haven't gone well after like the Burnley match, everyone kind of feels that negative kind of that vibe and, you know, Noble stepping back in. I think he really kind of shut people up and 
I think he had a really fantastic performance. Other than that, I think you have to look at kind of the trio that I kind of continue consider at this point to be the the ever present, I guess you could say, of Suchek, uh, Bowen, and Rice. I just think we've reached a point where. You know, we, we talk about West Ham not having leaders. I think that's been like a common theme. You've heard uh, James Collins say it on a couple podcasts earlier this year. But I think if you look at those three players, they've really, with their performances, have kind of shown a lot of leadership. And I thought they were great on Saturday as well. What about you? Yeah, I I agree. I think they were all brilliant. Rice maybe had a bit more of a quiet game, but did his job that he needed to do and was reliable as he always is. Suchek, unlucky not to get on the score sheet again. Um, he forced an amazing save for Tim Krull from that edge of the box volley. And Bowen, yeah, he's just his work rate going forward is so good. And he also gets back and defends really well, which I think is something we've been missing with like defensive cover from the more attacking players. So he definitely sort of helps us play a lot more s- solidly defensively. Um, I agree with Mark Noble. He really sort of came back at the critics. He did really well. He got his assist from that free kick. Should have been two assists if Antonio could score a one-on-one rather than a rebound off the goalkeeper, which sadly doesn't mean Mark Noble gets his second assist of the game. But no, I thought he was really good as that midfield general and did the role that he's been trying to do in the last few games that he played really well. Um, But I also thought Fredericks had a really good game. I thought he was solid defensively, got forward brilliantly for his assist for Antonio's fourth goal, I think. And it's sort of... It showed what he did against the Southampton side last season where he scored his perfect 10 on who scored, that he has got that capability to be a flying wing-back that can get forward and create chances. So it would be great to see if he can carry on that form and he definitely sort of could carry it on and maybe remove the need for maybe investing in a new right-back in the summer. What are your thoughts on Fredericks, Aaron? Yeah, I mean, I think I mentioned in one of our previous podcasts that he's, I thought he's done a really good job of, you know, when we had a lot of free time, all of us were writing about what the options were at right back and, you know, who we would go after or how, you know, Jeremy Ngakia kind of seems like a bit of an afterthought at this point. Ben Johnson hasn't had a minute on the pitch. And so, I mean, I don't, I don't think he's ever necessarily maybe going to be a super star in that sense but if it eliminates a a spot on the pitch that we don't have to invest in because there are some holes i think the opposite uh back position i think we can both agree is is somewhere that needs to uh be upgraded but i thought i thought he's been solid and i mean you get everyone you know will criticize him for his technique or his defensive capabilities but he's he's very fortunate that he he has great pace and it gives him that ability to get himself out of trouble and I thought he's been really great um I guess another person I should mention I didn't think to mention was uh that we should give some credit to is David Moyes everyone I wrote an article criticizing him for not changing the lineup or assuming he wasn't going to change the lineup up more and put up the same tired squad but obviously he was much wiser than I did and didn't need to and he, he even made five substitutions although several of them were quite late but still I think none of us ever expected to uh, to see that no it was it was a nice change to see him freshen up the side as the game drew on I think maybe it might have been a case of putting in some players that hadn't had minutes to sort of maybe freshen up their legs maybe put them in a shop window for the summer or at least give a rest be it a short rest for players like Ogbonna who came off for Balbuena and um, Bowen going off for Yarmolenko. So maybe that was the case of that thinking. But yeah, so I agree. I think David Moyes, he did really well in the Norwich game. Like I think we saw what he needed to do. I think he knew 
he didn't need to make reactive subs to the Norwich side, especially with how the game was going. So he was able to sort of keep his cards close to his chest until he wanted to make his own substitutions, which usually has sort of been his downfall of being moving too late to make substitutions. But we saw in the Norwich game that if the game's going well, you can decide when you want to do the substitution. So it's sort of, maybe it's t- it'll be better to judge David Moyes in a game where it's not going our way and we're not 3-0 up when we decide to make changes and it's more of a close-fought game. Like, probably tomorrow, I can imagine it being one all at some point and needing something to happen. That will be the time for Moyes to prove himself as a tactical genius. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm still... Sometimes he frustrates me with those lack of decisions, but I, I was thinking a, a bit about it earlier this week, and I very much... Um, you know, one thing we discussed a lot under Pellegrini is that we never seem to really have a settled lineup. And uh, I've heard a few people mention it, that, you know, for for all the criticism of Moyes and his lack of subs, we really have, he says, has seemed to settled on, you know, for the most part, a really uh, a lineup that he trusts and that he wants to go forward with. It seems like, you know, maybe one one or two changes a game, mostly one, it really seems, the Lanzini coming in and out of the lineup and stuff like that. But every, everywhere else on the pitch, he seems to have found the people that he wants to go forward with. And, uh, you know, it's there's something to be said about that, I guess, that everybody out there is knows their job, they know their role, they've come become accustomed to playing with each other. And I don't think we ever really got that settled of a lineup when we had Pellegrini around. Maybe I, I could be wrong. It's hard to remember uh, back to the full extent of his era, but it's kind of nice to see to see that out there, although the players have done an excellent job for the most part of, you know, making that lineup pretty settled. You know, they, other than... You know, Cresswell's had his difficulties, but they're, I don't think Moyes is trust Ben Johnson from a perspective of putting a young a young player in the lineup right now. But I think from otherwise, it's uh, he's done a really good job of kind of uh, letting the people that he feels confident in know, know about it. Yeah, I completely agree. And like talk about the Norwich game, we've got to mention the main man himself, Mikel Antonio, scoring four goals. He's now West Ham's top goal scorer this season. Uh, overtaking £40 million striker Sebastian Haller. I just want to know, Aaron, what did you make of his goals? Which was your favourite? Like, how do you think his all-round all performance was? Uh, I thought he was fantastic. I've always uh, had a pretty soft spot for Mikhail Antonio. I think we can all agree maybe he's not the most, you know, gifted in terms of you know, his his actual skills, but he's always put in a shift. And I thought, you know, he really deserved to have a performance like that. I know everyone's kind of discussed he's had a tough couple months with the passing of his father. And he's, you know, he's been played, I guess you could say relatively out of position, but he's really kind of started to adapt to that role. And I think he's the first one to admit that he should have scored against Burnley and that might have made that match a lot different. I, uh, I think probably my favorite goal would have been his third. You know, he went down in, in typical Antonio fashion. He was all alone and managed to hit the keeper, but he didn't give up. And he, you know, kind of showed the lack of fight in a sense of, of Norwich that he was able to, to bury it. And I think his, his fourth one was really funny because, uh, you know, I was almost screaming at my TV for uh, Fredericks to pass the ball to Suchek, who I have a soft spot for, and I thought he would bury for sure. I was a little surprised that Antonio was able to find himself open, but I, I just thought it was, you know, he, he got that early goal and it really helped the team settle in. And I, uh, I felt great watching him and pretty happy for him. Yeah, I think I agree. I think everyone agrees he was unbelievable that day. I think it was sort of the perfect game for him. Like the goals that he scored, he scored some very sort of typical Antonio goals with his head and sort of that poacher finish for the first one. 
like which is just sort of I don't think about it volley into the court into the goal from following the corner but it was good to see him in around that six yard box for the fourth goal like so West Ham can finally sort of have that option of getting down to the wing getting down to the byline and cutting it back for a striker to score like it's not really a move we see a lot at West Ham and it's nice to know that that's becoming more of an option with Antonio because the last time I can think that we managed to do it was Antonio against Chelsea and then you really got to think back to when did we last do a move like that and it's back when things were going well at the start of the season with Haller against Norwich and his first goal against Watford which was his first goal in the Premier League so it's nice to know that's maybe becoming a bit more of an option again like definitely we're going to take a short break here and we'll be back in a minute for West Ham fans everywhere this is the ultimate football app for you for match highlights interviews and the best West Ham videos and podcasts Download the free COY Irons app now from the App Store and Google Play. Welcome back to the Green Street Hammers podcast. I'm here with Aaron and uh, we've just been talking about the Norwich game and how great that was. And now we'll look ahead to the Watford match, which is just as crucial, especially with results uh, maybe going not West Ham's way, but there's still a bit of a gap between the club and the bottom three of four points at the moment. So what... Do you think of like the da- biggest dangers that Watford possess that we need to be looking out for, Aaron? Oh, I mean, they seem to be pretty well drilled under uh, under under Pearson, and but I, I I won't lie, I haven't watched them a whole lot since the uh, since restart has kind of come underway. I've got a a little man, so I don't get to watch maybe as much football as everyone else. But I I think Troy Deeney, if he is healthy and fit and ready to play, he's kind of got that you know, big game kind of attitude and uh, mentality, and he's a great leader. I think he's uh, definitely somebody that will, you know, find a way to kind of affect the game, and West Ham has had some, uh, you know, I I can't remember, I don't think it was, maybe it was last year or the year before, he scored a big goal and, you know, ran by the fans and cupped his ear and everything like that. I think uh, he'll be up for it, and I think he'll be leading leading the team in that result, and that, that would be my biggest concern, that they're going to be as up for it. And if things don't go our way early on, then how do we respond to that? Yeah, Troy, yourself? Um, yeah Troy Deeney's been a great player for Watford. He's one of those players that everyone seems to dislike him unless he's on your team. Like, sort of reminds me of that Diego Costa at Chelsea. Chelsea fans loved him, but everyone else was driving their minds at that player because he was always so good against everyone else whether or not he was up to his tricks or whatever. But Dini, he's a brilliant player in the Premier League and like he's definitely someone we need to look out for if he does play. I saw after the Newcastle game, he had a bit of a ice on his knee because he's got a, a bit of a knee issue at the moment, but it's something they're monitoring and Nigel Pearson said that he's managing it well. So he will most likely make an appearance against West Ham, um, which is something we definitely need to sort of keep an eye out for because our defence are not... The most solid at the moment, and someone who plays like Dini does with that sort of combative style, like he could really rustle the feathers of our defense, which, as we know, can crumble. So, if he does play, we need to make sure they're up for the fight to counteract him. But I'm also I'm a bit worried about Ismaili Saar. Like he's a player that sort of flashes hot and cold, but his pace is really frightening, especially if he's maybe on this uh, put up on the Watford's left side, so he'd be up against. Um, Cresswell if Cresswell does start so that's something I think we really need to sort of look out for Um, so like what changes would you make to the West Ham team to sort of counteract this 
Watford side that, as you say, is so well drilled by Nigel Pearson? Well, I mean, I think you put it right talking about Saw. He, I mean, they're going to have a, a friendly day down that side of the pitch if you have Fornals and Cresswell. I really, that's kind of, I mean, any good manager right now, it's, I mean, it's easy to see the issues with the squad is that you can kind of, you know, pick that side of the pitch and just say we're going to keep attacking down it all day long. You know, Fornals, he's willing to put in a shift, but sometimes you reach a point where, you know, the willingness to put in a shift doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to, you know, you're going to perform well down there. So, I mean, and Cresswell, he's just had an absolute mare for the most part since football's return. It's, it's kind of tough watching him get isolated every single game. And David Moyes, I don't necessarily think he seems to trust him, but I don't really know what other options he feels he has. Masuaku, I guess the big thing with him is that like, we, we all know we've watched him play a bunch of times that, he will get found out when he plays a lot of matches, especially defensively. But you do start to wonder if maybe, just maybe, Moyes, who has had confidence in him before, will say, you know, maybe I can trust him to go out there and with his pace to get one result here. I, I can't necessarily trust him to play the next three matches, but maybe maybe he can, uh, you know, pull this one off with his pace and be able to to affect that side. I don't I don't really know what I would do in terms of Fornals. Who else can you really... I mean, Felipe Anderson, would you trust putting him in there? And can you, you know, necessarily tell him that he's not doesn't have to worry too much about going forward. He just has to use his pace to, to track back. I'm not really sure what uh, what decision I would make there. I guess uh, no matter what decision Moyes makes, he will be probably criticised. What, what do you think they should do down there? I think the left side has been sort of our, our biggest issue all season. So it's no wonder it's sort of the topic we always come, seem to come back to when it comes to would you make any changes for the team for whatever match it is. But I, I see what you mean about Maseraku. Like, He's sort of this player that he does seem to get found out whether or not it's his own discipline or he gets comfortable thinking he is now the first choice when he does get a run of games. But that first game he has back in the side, he always seems to step up for that game. Like, I always think back to one of Moyes' first games when in his first spell against Chelsea where Maseraku got the nod at left back and he, I think he did something like 10 take-ons that game as we kept a clean sheet and he was unbelievable that game and everyone sort of went ah oh, he's got to be our first choice from now on and then he started as you say get found out and then that's when Cresswell comes back in because although Cresswell is poor his consistency is maybe whether or not it's low or not his worst won't be as bad as Maseraku's worse, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, totally. His consistency is, uh, it, it's relatively low, but he's consistently low, whereas Maseraku seems to be prone to that, that big mistake where you just shake your head and wonder how someone who plays professional football and gets paid paid for it can make that type of decision. It's I, I totally see what you're saying there. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, but like Cresswell, he got lucky against Norwich like with the... Norwich had the ball in the back of the net, which Cresswell seemed to almost kick into our own net. Luckily, the Norwich striker was given offside, so that didn't count. But that sort of lack of concentration is sort of what people expect of Maseraku, not Cresswell. So I definitely would think about maybe giving Maseraku a chance. He came on against Norwich and didn't seem to, he didn't have a lot to do, but he did what he needed to do well. And Hamas Poles even put out a question saying, should Maseraku be deployed at left-back against Watford to counteract their rapid winger, Ismaili Assar? And 50.5% of people said yes. So 
not everyone seems to be able to make up their minds. It's a very close call of what you go for. So, yeah, it's a very tricky thing, like Masuaku and the Cresswell debate, because we should have moved past this a couple of seasons ago and really sort of tried to fix it. Um, but yeah, it's something that definitely needs to be addressed in the summer. Um, my other thought would be Sebastian Haller. I'll put his name out to you. Against Nor- uh, Watford is uh, in the reverse fixture. He scored his first two goals in the Premier League and of the season for him. And he played a really good, really good game that day. Like, would you, would he be in your thinking this season? Well, not this season for the Watford game. Um, I, I mean, the only way I would consider it is if I mean, if you're switching Antonio to that left wing, and you know, you're going to give Antonio that responsibility to you know track back and help out down there. But I think if you're doing that, it really negates the man who's been our biggest threat for the past few weeks. So that kind of doesn't really make a whole bunch of sense. It would obviously show Moyes' confidence in Antonio to do what's best for the team and, and to entrust him with an important responsibility. But I really, I personally, I think I wrote it to our our Green Street Hammers chat too during that match when Hilaire came on against Norwich. I really noticed that like the way Antonio's been playing, it really makes it glaringly kind of obvious that where Hilaire has his shortcomings. You know, he's not somebody who moves moves very quickly up top top of the lineup. He doesn't, you know, out muscle. He doesn't bully defenders. And I really, I really wonder kind of going forward. I'm. I don't know what necessarily because he did have a great performance against Wofford earlier in the season. But going forward, I just don't really know if he's the right fit for the time, type of team that West Ham wants to build. We're going to be, you know, a team that plays a lone kind of striker and then and stuff. I just I don't think he has the attributes to do that. So I, he's kind of a guy that I mean, I don't really entrust him to come into the 200 million pound game of the season right now i uh maybe off the bench if we need a goal and we want to have two people up top i I would consider doing that but otherwise i just i just don't think he has the uh the intensity to uh to make a difference in this one yeah i think he was signed hopefully people would have thought he was going to be a like polite replacement of arnautovic in terms of like his pressing ability and like his actual pace but he hasn't really shown that since he's joined us and he struggled at times, but the best games he's had is when he's been up top with Antonio. Like, I don't think anyone can disagree with that. If you think back to the Southampton game where they were unbelievable playing up together and they both got on the score sheet that day. So maybe like the thought of maybe changing system to accommodate both of them. But in terms for me, I think I'd try to keep the team as similar as possible. Like after a 4-0 win, it's very hard to argue changing the team too dramatically because... Like you've just won four 0 you shouldn't really be thinking, oh, we've got to make this change and this change to accommodate this and make this player a bit happier in the situation we need. We need to be trusting in our best eleven, and I think our best eleven, bar maybe Cresswell, played against Norwich, especially of how they played. So yeah, I don't think too many changes need to be made for the Watford game. I just think they need to make sure they're up for it. I mean, it's our biggest rest we've had since the restart between games. We've had we've had six days, so and Antonio's played really well, despite only having so many days to rest. And everyone's worried when's he going to get injured? When's he going to get injured? Because we expect it from Antonio because he's never been the most reliable in terms of his injuries. So you'd hope that everyone will have a good couple of days rest before they're back to training and should be ready to get going again for the Watford game. Like, how do you think the rest will have helped the team? 
Uh, I think it'll be massive. I, uh, I mean, as I mentioned before, I was really critical about David Moyes when I, you know, the end of that Burnley match, I think we could all agree that like the last 20 minutes, you know, we didn't even, we weren't even really able to play with much urgency to try to get the equalizer because everybody looked utterly exhausted. So I really wanted to see some changes against Norwich, but obviously David Moyes felt that he wanted to put his best uh, squad on the pitch because he knew he had the, you know, almost like five days rest before five or six days rest before the next match. So I think that'll help everybody. And I mean, I think going back to the changes as well, David Moyes, as we, you know, we love to kind of joke about, he's a very cautious manager. I don't think he's going to necessarily make any drastic changes to change his best 11. I think what, what we saw against Norwich is probably what we're going to see against Watford, albeit with a little bit more of a rested team. And ultimately, I mean, the way that, everybody's playing right now i think we should be confident that we don't need to adapt to another another team especially a team that's you know technically below us in the table uh, other than that burnley match where we created enough chances to win the game and you know kind of spurned some chances that really should have we shouldn't have we've we've played really really well and we should feel confident that you know we can if we go in and play our system and play to the best of our abilities then we should be able to get a result against wofford yeah, so I was, that leads me on to my next question. What's your prediction for the match against Watford, Aaron? Uh, I'm going to go with 2-1 for West Ham. I uh, think Antonio is going to get on the scoreboard again. I think I've picked Jared Bowen to score a goal uh, in most of our predictions, but I really feel he's, you know, he's been tireless with his work ethic and creating chances. He's, you know, come very close to to getting goals, which we kind of expected from from him when we picked him up. So I. Uh, I think he's going to find a way to make an impact on this game. And I do think it'll probably be nervy. We'll probably get a late one. Just uh, just the way West Ham tends to, to do these things to us. So that, that's what I would go with. What do you think, Henry? Yeah, I think you're right about Jared Bowen. Like, he's almost performed the opposite of what we expected when we signed him. When he was at Hull, he was scoring goals and only providing a couple of assists here or there. But he's almost turned into a provider rather than a goal scorer, which is just as crucial for what we've needed. So I definitely would like to see him get a goal. I put my prediction as a two-all draw. Um, I think it's going to be a really tight game. I think it's going to be really competitive. But the other side of me thinks back to 1982 World Cup, the, the um, oh, I can't remember the name it got given, the disgrace of Gijon, where West Germany and Austria sort of played out a curious 1-0 win to West Germany which seemed to suit both sides quite well and I think a draw would suit both teams with Villa losing like it would definitely put a lot of pressure on Bournemouth and Villa to win both their games to catch both teams rather than just one of them so there's also that thought of like maybe Moyes and Pearson have had a their own Skype call or Zoom call and gone why don't we just have a little agreement here (laughs) and maybe a draw would suit us both because the other teams have got just as tricky games to play but no I think it's going to be a draw and I hope it it's a it's a good draw for us rather than points lost I hope it's going to be points gained um but I wouldn't be surprised to see us win I think the worst case for us would be a draw I don't I can't see Watford beating us um so yeah I'm going to be on the cautious side and go over draw um we're going to take another break now and we'll be back to do some Hammers Pulse questions Welcome back to the Green Street Hammers podcast. Um, we've already talked about the Norwich and Watford games. Well, the Watford game is coming up and the Norwich result. Um, so we're going to move on to some Hammers polls questions, Aaron. So 
My first one for you comes from the reliable at Tony Pearson too, who loves to send questions in. Um, Endin Dzeko is 34 years old and has been rumoured to be around available for £12 million. Would you like him at West Ham? Uh, I I don't really see the point. You know, 34 years old is not, you know, it's a year or two older than Mark Noble at this point, who we're talking about being one of his last seasons in, in football potentially next year. I think... Uh, I just, you know, if we want to build a young, exciting team and there's, I mean, absolutely probably zero resale value after it's going to be the last purchase of him, you know, that anybody probably makes if West Ham, you know, of, of value. It just, I think for us supporters, it would just basically be a nod to the way the team has been run the last, you know, several years and not really make any sense. I think there'd be a lot of, uh, I mean, could he come in and get a job done? Quite possibly, but I mean, it would just be a sign to us fans that nothing's really changed. I think we need to go with a young, exciting player who may not have the, the track record, but has the, uh, you know, potential to be sold later down the road and also kind of, you know, shows that we're trying to build build something as opposed to just taking up older players who want one last payday. Yeah, I think I saw some people sort of arguing that he could have an impact like Teddy Sheringham had when he joined and he was quite old. And he still had a very respectable scoring ratio during his time at West Ham. But I think there was a difference between showing him he was coming from sort of a good level of football, whereas Dzeko, he's over in Qatar, I think it is at the moment. And he hasn't played too much football. And £12 million is a lot of money for what our, I imagine our budget will be for the summer. Like, that will be a substantial chunk of it, especially with the whole financial crisis that seems to be engulfing the world of football at the moment. So I think I'm probably going to go with no. <laughs> and I think we agree with everyone. Yes, 79% of people say no to Ender Dzeko. So I know my dad's a big fan of him, so he'll be sad that that's not happening. Um, so yeah, the next one is, there's been a lot of rumours about our young boy out on loan at West Brom this season. And some clubs that have been started being linked with him, such as Ajax and Celtic, and of course West Brom will be, interested in signing Dean Garner on a permanent basis. What do you think Moyes should do with Grady next season? Make him first choice, bench him, loan him out again, or sell him? Um, well, actually, first off, I have a question for you. I, I only really remember Dean Garner playing on the right wing. Have you ever seen him line up on the, the left side of the pitch? Or is... I think he's been operating at sort of both wings this season. Both wings? Yeah. Well, I mean... If I, I don't think we want to move Bowen away from the the right wing. I think that's exactly where we want him to be. But if Dean Ghana can come in and operate on that left side of the pitch, and you know, I'm I'm pretty sold on Antonio right now operating up top. Can you imagine like the pace and the you know the work rate of those those three kind of up the pitch? I I think he absolutely has to slot into the team if he uh, can make that jump from the the championship and. I think it's you know pretty much like going out there and buying a player with with the season that he's had. If he can can come in and do it for West Ham, I, I see zero reason to sell him. And I don't I, it and in the way if Jacko is like buying him kind of you know is a nod to the way we used to operate. Selling Dean Ghana would also kind of do the the same thing. I, I see no reason to get rid of him. I think he'll be a pretty big impact player for us next season yeah it definitely seems very counterproductive when you sort of put those two together whether or not it's going to be we're going to buy this 34 year old striker and sell a promising youngster um no i definitely would keep hold of dean garn i think he's had a great season at west brom he's chipped in i think with seven goals and six or five assists 
So he'd be among one of West Ham's top creators and goal scorers if he replicated that form this season. And I think he also had a bit of an injury, so he missed a few games here and there just to sort of make his goals per 90 even seem even more impressive. Um, whether or not he starts, for me, I think he needs some time in the squad to evaluate exactly where he, his position would be. Like, if Felipe Anderson all of a sudden discovers his form again, then would he start above a fully firing Felipe Anderson? Probably not, but what's the chance of that? So I wouldn't be starting Dean Garner immediately, but I'd have him in and around the squad, on the bench, ready to go. As soon as someone drops off a bit of form, they know their place isn't going to be like secured for a few games or a few months of bad form that they can be taken out immediately and Dean Garner be given a go. I think that would be the right way to do it. Is And also for him not to be given the full responsibility of going... You're the saving grace now. We've not, we're not going to go sign uh, Saeed Benrahma from Brentford, who I know a lot of people want us to sign, because we're putting all of our hopes in you and you're going to be the star guy. I think it will work better introducing him from the bench, getting him and building him into the team slowly and surely until he does make that starting berth his own and is providing and contributing in a meaningful fashion. I think that should be the way he goes. So, yeah, my choice would probably be, from the start, would be on the bench. Do you agree? Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, definitely, I mean, it's nobody's position's really tenuous kind of in that, or not everybody's position's a bit tenuous in that starting lineup. I think we'd probably want to see how, uh, you know, I mean, there's not going to be much of a preseason. It kind of just shows how far, in my mind, Felipe Anderson's fallen off. I didn't even, when you asked that question, I didn't even really think of him out on that left wing you know and you mentioned if a fully firing Felipe Anderson would be fantastic but I, I really am starting to to lose hope that we're ever gonna ever gonna see that I know Adam's not here on the podcast to kind of you know he's one of his biggest defenders and supporters but I uh I, I think Diangana, what he's gone and done in the championship, which most people would agree is one of the toughest leagues to play in in the world, just for the sheer physicality and for, you know, the number of matches and, you know, the tough midweek games. And he's kind of done that pretty consistently all season long, which is something we could never say about Felipe Anderson, and, you know, whether it's for West Ham or Lazio. So, you know, I think Diangana will definitely be in in the mix. It'll be up on up to Felipe Anderson and maybe other players to kind of keep him out of there. But I, I do think having an energetic player out on the on the wing with that kind of pace, as opposed to like a Fornals, would be would be good for the team. Although where you slot Fornals in at that point, I really have no clue. Well, the majority of people say he should be first choice. Sixty three point three percent are putting Diangana straight into the starting side, which. Maybe they're a bit more optimistic than we are about him or maybe you're forgetting a couple of players here or there that are currently in the team. I think we may be slotting a bit more of the benching him 27.5%. Does that sound fair? <laughs> no, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, and also, like, oh, just away from the Hammers Poles question, I want to ask you, what do you think's happened to Philip Anderson to sort of start this bad run of form that he's had almost because he started the season quite well and he was creating well he just wasn't getting on the score sheet because I watched the highlights against Watford from early in the season he hit the post and you got to be thinking looking back at it now if that had gone in we would have seen him play how he did how he did last season whereas maybe he didn't have the run of form what do you think yeah I really I just think it's mental for him at this point I uh over here in Canada I used to play 
a fairly high level of uh, ice hockey. I was a goalie actually. And like, you know, I can directly attest sometimes when things are going really well, you're going to the rink or the rink or the, you know, the training ground or the, or to matches and so and football. And like, you know, you're happy, you feel good. Everything feels loose. You're not worried about making mistakes because you're, you're just, everything's kind of flowing. And I think he's very much a, a player. I almost relate to in a sense or from my athletic career where like when things aren't going well it just tends to almost spiral worse and worse and i i just think for him he needs to even when he has a good performance almost now or he does a good play he's almost second guessing himself of whether he can do that again and uh you know i think the biggest way to to look at it with him is like you know if you see any highlights from his his top moments at west ham he's taking on players he's attacking them he's not really scared of anybody whereas now he gets the ball out on that wing and instead of pushing forward or going at players he's looking to lay the ball off or to give the ball away because he just doesn't want to have it and i mean that's something he's gonna have to deal with on his own and i, I just until you start seeing him attacking players I, I don't really think that'll he won't be back until we until we witness that and it's been such a long time since we have do you remember the, the game against southampton i think it was southampton away in i think december 2018 and he got both the, both of our goals if i believe and he yeah was just, he completely you know, turned it around we were one nil down and he completely turned it around it was he was brilliant yeah. that day but yeah i I've, i i completely agree with you I, I play a bit of cricket and like i remember like when you're going well like the runs come really easily and you're feeling good or if you're bowling you pick up a wicket here or there everything's like sort of flowing naturally but as soon as you have a, one bad game here and then another bad game you can't buy a run, you start to get your jitters and your legs going and you're just nervous and you're nervous and you can't perform to your best because you're overthinking, overthinking, overthinking. I had like one thought and this was like, I don't know how much or so, but I noticed on his Instagram, I was doing a bit of like stalking and I noticed like, I think his, um, like him and his girlfriend who he moved to London with, like they're both some sort of completely off each other's social media now. So I don't know if that maybe has had a big thing for him is maybe if they if they have separated that could be a massive sort of um impact on what is still a young man like he's 26 27 years old like that could be a huge thing like if he's moved to the country with his partner and she's gone away so maybe he's a bit more isolated a bit more by himself and he's not got the support around him that he might have had when he first came that that could yeah, and he be does, he quite does a seem like a shy factor. introverted kind of guy as well too so yeah, he Maybe doesn't sort of come out and interview. the way other people can. Yeah, he doesn't sort of come out and interview you after he played well and was like, yeah, like, it's going really well. I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, he always seems like quite a withheld person. So I don't know if that's me overlooking it or so, but I've, I think that could be maybe a fact that's contributed to it a bit, which I hope sort of he is able to sort of work through and recapture the form that he showed before because he can be a fantastic player especially for West Ham going forward or for next season. So I do hope that he can become the Felipe that we all loved and Adam especially loved <laughs> again. Um, but we'll move on to the next Hammers Polls question. So if West Ham do stay up and out of the current bottom three sides, so that's Bournemouth, Aston Villa and Norwich in that order, um, are there any of the players from those teams that you would take at West Ham? And if so... Who? Uh, it seems like a lot of the the names that I've you know thought of first off the bat are players that probably will will end up at you know 
hate to say it, but bigger clubs, you know, obviously you look like a guy like Tyrone Mings would be a wonderful addition, I think, to the to our center backs. But you have to imagine that he's off to some of the bigger clubs. Obviously, I mean, Josh King, I think I've heard someone mention would be a great addition, but there's other a couple other clubs that are interested in him as well. I don't uh I don't necessarily know some of the the more depth players from some of those squad from from those squads that might end up at West Ham. I feel like you probably have a little bit a little bit more uh, better knowledge than I do in that sense. Um, yeah, I agree with the the two you said. I think Josh Keane, I think he's a great striker. In my, I think my head he's maybe pushing on a bit because now he's I think twenty nine thirty, so he's sort of getting to that age where he might start to decline and might go against the model David Moyes is sort of speaking about building. Uh, but Tyrone Mings, I think he'd be a great centre-back option to bring in, especially if Balbrena, I think, is likely to be moved on. I think he'd be sort of a good stopgap between Ogbonna being 33 now or so, I think, and Diop being a bit younger. He'd be in that perfect middle gap where he's coming into his prime and could really be part of a West Ham defence for the next five years and could be a great shout for us, I think. Um, in terms of other players, I think, like as you said, I think a lot of the more impressive players from the bottom three, they are more likely to go to slightly bigger clubs than us or like maybe to the very top, like Jack Grealish. He's definitely one that's going to get a big move. Whether or not I agree with him getting that big move, I'm not quite sure. Since the restart, he hasn't too impressed me. I think he's got some good stats, but I think if you look at the sort of character of him, it doesn't seem too desirable, especially after that dive the other night. So I'd rather be trying to poach players from clubs that are coming up or were fighting for promotion than players that have got relegated. But having said that, I think if I was pushed to take a couple, I'd definitely look at the Norwich fullbacks because they're still young. They're very quick and strong and capable. They've got a season under their belts. They've learned a bit more. They've grown a bit more. And I think Max Harris and Jamal Lewis, I think they'd be good um, purchases for the club and they would solve both our left and right back uh, issues you'd hope immediately so that would sort of be my thinking would be those two what do you think yeah I think both of those would be uh would probably be upgrades necessarily I mean um like you said Fredericks has played pretty well I guess the the issue with that is I've, I've read a little bit about Norwich and how they're actually run really efficiently as a football club financially which is quite rare these days so they're uh they're likely, you know, most teams that get relegated need to not necessarily have a fire sale, but they almost have to sell players a little bit lower than what they might be valued. But apparently Norwich is so uh, so established and so well run financially that they're going to be able to still demand top dollar for their players, which I think we can agree that West Ham really, I mean, who knows what the budget's going to be, but I can't imagine it's going to be uh, enough to bring in uh, players that are drawing you know, British players that are drawing uh, a top dollar or top pound, I should say, sorry. Yeah, Norwich, they run really well, like they're financially. I mean, I think they got promoted two years ahead of when they had planned or were trying to get promoted for. So they've kind of had this sort of bonus season in the Premier League and uh, bonus chance to grab these riches from the Premier League to take back to the championship, reinvest and come back stronger. So, yeah, I think you're right. It's definitely sort of a tricky one to try prize players away from Norwich I think at the moment especially as the squad's still so young so those players might not feel like they need to move on too quickly in order to get the best out of their career they can have that extra time at Norwich but talking about players coming in there's obviously one name that sort of continues to be linked away from West Ham and that is Declan Rice as much as we all hope he stays for the next 20 years playing 
because he is that great. Um, he's still being linked to Chelsea, returned to where he was in their academy until he was let go by their academy. Um, and obviously, some of the stories coming out is that Chelsea are preparing this mammoth offer to West Ham in which they're selling Jorginho, but they're going to offer us Bachrari, Zuma, Tamore, but we're also apparently have been linked to be interested in Bakayoko. So my question to you, Adam, uh, not Adam, Aaron, is if we were to sell Rice to Chelsea, which players would you want from them realistically that we could get, if any, or just no, not selling unless it's the entire Chelsea team and more money? Yeah, I mean, I, I saw someone tweet today and I, I really agreed with it. If, if they want the player so bad, then they, they need to pay the, you know, pay the price that we want for them. I think if we're trying to build, you know, a certain type of club going forward and we, you know, I think David Moyes has an idea of the type of player he wants. It's probably not a player that's a reject from Chelsea, if that makes any sense. You know, that's there's probably a certain mindset of a player that was at a club like that. And they might not bring the type of attitude or uh, that we as fans want at West Ham and what we want to build going forward. So, I mean, if Chelsea really want him, then I think they need to pay up whatever whatever the asking price is. I wouldn't really want any any of their players at this point. No, I think I agree. Like, his, I think Declan's contract, it goes till 2024. So, we're in a relatively good position where we don't need to sell him. We've got... Uh, potentially four years of him unless he was to hand in a transfer request so we're in as strong a position as we could be in order to keep the player and I think everyone at West Ham wants to keep Declan because he is that promising he's in the England squad he will probably be the best player we have going forward for those next four years or if he signs an extension and stays he will be the player of like the 20s decade and could potentially be a legend for the club if he is is to stay around. But I think yeah, I mean, oh, yeah. sorry, didn't mean no, 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 to carry cut you off there. Carry on. Now. Um. Also, I think nobody. I mean, we'll never know what's going through his mind. But like, why? I know Chelsea was his boyhood club. That's where he was at. But I think everyone's just assuming that he necessarily wants to return there. Like. I, I personally, as a you know a former athlete, would hold quite a grudge against the team that cut me loose when I was 14 and basically told me, I don't believe in you. I don't think you're going to be good enough for us. And no amount of, you know, my, like, what, you know, maybe he'd be off to United or City or something. But I mean, I there's just that assumption that he's going to want to go back to Chelsea. And if I, I was a player in his shoes who suddenly has become so good, I would kind of like want to say, I told you so, as opposed to I want to join you. Yeah, I think you're right. I completely agree with that. Like, if I was in a position where I'd been let go, I'd be trying to do everything I can to prove that club wrong. And I think the best way to do that would be to go to a main competitor of theirs. I think if Declan was to leave West Ham, it would be to more of a Manchester City to take over the role of Fernandinho. I think that almost seems more of a natural place for him to sort of take himself to the new heights of the Champions League and everything, rather than to be at centre-back in Chelsea, where I think Declan's a more than capable centre-back, but I think he's so good in midfield and we've seen how good he is in midfield. He excels there. I think really that should be his position. I know a lot of people like uh, Rio Ferdinand, they're saying he will settle as a centre-back, but I disagree. I think he's made his name as a midfielder stay there. Like You can see him occasionally in games when he breaks through with the ball and he surges 20, 30 yards up the pitch. And he can create. 
Like, I think losing his midfield ability and putting him as a defender would be a real shame for him. Um, but yeah, so I think I'm in agreement with you. Like, if Chelsea want him, they're going to have to pay whatever number we come up with, really, because we're not in and a position... Also, yeah. also going, going to City, like, I mean, he's a very, obviously a very intelligent, you know, young man. He understands and loves being at West Ham. I, he doesn't want to leave. I don't. I wouldn't think if he does leave a bad taste in anyone's mouth. And if if that's going to be the case, then I mean, wouldn't going to City be the the kind of the ultimate choice to make there? West Ham and Manchester City kind of have a, a mutual respect amongst the supporters. Nobody would ever blame him for going there. Whereas you know he would be welcomed back and adored. Whereas if he went across town to Chelsea, there's there's bound to be no matter what. I mean, maybe not negative attitude towards him, but it wouldn't it wouldn't have the same type of feeling as if he went up up north to go to City. I think that would be kind of that fit that everybody would cheer him on and be happy for him. And I I think that's important to him. As you know, maybe I'm overvaluing uh, what what he feels in terms of emotions as a player, but I, I do think that would be kind of something that would be important to him. His legacy, kind of at West Ham. Yeah, and I think also you got to take into the fact of wherever I go, play under Frank Lampard or Pep Guardiola. And as well as I think Frank Lampard's done this season as Chelsea manager, it's very hard to turn your nose up at the prospect of playing under Guardiola and the football he plays. And I think Declan would suit that so well from what we've seen at West Ham because he has got that range of passing and I think would be a brilliant player for City. I don't want him to go, ever. But I think if he was to go, I agree. It would be, everyone would understand him going to the riches of City and to play under Guardiola and to be challenging for the top titles which Chelsea aren't at the moment I know they're built building a very good young squad and have already made some impressive signings like Zayek and Werner but City are like far more established than Chelsea are at the moment and it's a lot more inviting offer I think than Chelsea going across town to London rivals and I think Declan he he loves West Ham you can see it when he scored his first goal against Arsenal how much it meant to him and I think he saw how much it meant to the fans for him to score so I don't think he'll leave in a, in a negative way. But it sort of leads me on to my next uh, question for you, Aaron. And so Declan is the, probably the most successful academy graduate we've had in a long time, probably since Mark Noble. And if he plays tomorrow, it'll be his 500th appearance for West Ham, which is an incredible stat in today's football. So I just want to sort of ask you, what's your favourite moment of Mark Noble, just to round off the podcast? Um, well, I, I became a West Ham supporter in 2016, so I probably don't have the same depth of uh, of memories that you have. But I've uh, I've become quite a, I guess, a student, or I love to learn. So I've read a, you know, I've read a lot, a lot of books and a lot of stories and stuff like that. Um, Mark Noble, obviously, I don't know if you've read uh, An Irrational Hatred of Everything by Robert Banks. It's a really interesting read on the, I think, 2003 to 2017 West Ham squad and come to love Mark Noble for during those some of those tales. But I think my personal favorite, I listened to, uh, I want to say it was a U Irons podcast and they had Marlon Harewood on there. And uh, he tells a story of Mark Noble got called up to like fill in some space and training back when he was like 16 or 17 years old. And all the, you know, all the older pros were getting annoyed with him because he kept yelling for the ball and kept demanding it in training. And they're like, what's this young lad up to like kind of fuck off basically. And so I, I forget exactly who it was, but they got so annoyed with it that they just hammered the ball into him as hard as they could in the middle of, 
the middle of the pitch and he just controlled the ball turn and kind of spun it out wide to a player and instead of being annoyed or even realizing that anyone else is annoyed with him he like turned back it i think it was the captain at the time i just forget what player it was and he basically said that's what i'm fucking talking about and that's when uh Marlon basically said that's when he knew that he was going to be that type of player and I was out in a walk earlier in quarantine when I heard that story on a podcast and I just I couldn't stop laughing it just kind of kind of summed him up to me and I, I really enjoyed it what about yourself I, I I didn't know about that story but it sounds incredible so like that's probably gone quite up in my estimate estimates but um for me I think it's a moment whenever Mark Noble scores a goal that's not a penalty there's always something a bit special about it and it's very rare when he does score and it's not a penalty. It's usually quite spectacular. I always think back to his, one of his very first goals against Bolton where he volleyed it um, from the wing and that was just an amazing moment in the great escape season. The same with his other volley against Tottenham that year. Those are great moments to see that sort of young English West Ham boy like really like taking that starting berth for himself and like knowing that he was going to become great at the club if he stayed and he did stay and he has become a great I know performances might have dropped recently but we'll always still love him no matter really how bad he can play or what whatever he does but I think he's been a great servant for the club he's been an even better captain but I think my bet my favorite Mark Noble moment will always be the volley against Leicester um the season before last where he just caught it so sweetly and you can see um, Kiate and Arnautovic's reaction to the goal going in and they're just in disbelief that that technique had come out of Mark Noble's right foot. <laughs> yeah, that's. I was actually just thinking of that when you were, uh, you know, talking about some of his goals. I was actually at that match. I was, uh, I was over visiting London and then we were heading up to Scotland with my my dad. So my dad's parents are from, uh, his dad was from London, his mom's from Aberdeen and he had never been over overseas. So we are on a father-son trip actually. And my dad's my dad loves sports, absolutely. And he loves, you know, he doesn't follow West Ham, knows really not a whole lot about it. But we had gone on an away day that day with a, a group called Ironworks Tours. So we took the coach up. We had pints in the pub beforehand and we went to the match. And I remember my dad was having a blast. He was really upset. He didn't understand or know any of the songs that were getting sung, but he was really happy to be partaking. And I remember when that goal went in, him actually giving me like a giant hug and just having a great time. So that's, I guess if I had to be pressed, that would actually very much be my favorite uh mark noble moment and that was just a, a great away day in general it was sunny you know we on the coach ride home i think I forget who who blew a match but west ham was actually guaranteed of staying up so we had a, a little extra party we stopped at a uh i forget we stopped at a rest stop and everybody picked up beer and we all celebrated that so i was actually thinking of that when we were talking earlier that was uh the third last match of the season, Manchester United was up next. So I was thinking, you know, if we can get a result against Watford, it'll kind of uh, be a similar type feeling with United up next to, to feel relatively safe. Yeah, definitely. I think that brings us to a very joyful end to this episode of the Green Street Hammers podcast. Thank you very much for joining me, Aaron. Oh, it was a pleasure. <laughs> Cheers. And so for everyone here at Green Street Hammers, come on, you irons. Come on, you irons.
to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.